I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. I'm here to have conversations. Real, honest, authentic conversations. The kind we aren't supposed to have anymore. I interview anyone I find interesting, from left to right to everywhere in between. I work independently in order to have the freedom to say what I believe and speak to whoever I want. But with independence comes a lot of work and some insecurity. I rely on donors and patrons, so individuals, to support my work so that I can continue to do what I do. Please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. On Substack, that's meganmurphy.substack.com. Or you can support this podcast directly on anchor.fm by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. You can learn more about my work and how to support it at meganmurphy.ca. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Algorithm. Today on the show, I am speaking with Aaron Friday, a San Francisco attorney and member of Our Duty, an international group that opposes transgender ideology. Thanks for making the time. Uh, I think that the work that you all are doing at Our Duty is really important. Thank you. You do too. <laughs> yeah, obviously, that's why you do it, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, so why why don't you start by telling me a bit about our duty and when this organization formed and why? Well, I wasn't at the beginning of our duty. It, our, our duty started in the UK. And then um, some parents in the United States picked it up and opened a, I guess, a branch or a version of it in the United States. Um, when my daughter got into the gender identity, um, I was looking for groups and the lead of the uh, U.S. Our Duty is just, uh, she's amazing. I mean, she's she has to stay anonymous, but uh, she's really the machine behind it. And um, now I get to co-lead with her and I get to be the face uh, because I'm out. And what was it that brought you to our duty in this issue of trans kids or transing kids? Uh, well, my daughter was trans identified for two years. So I was foisted into it. I had no idea. Uh, I had no idea any of this stuff was going on. And I live in California. So uh, it's kind of funny. Um when I think about it, but it's, you know, the mainstream media does, doesn't really report on it. And I thought all this stuff was outliers. Um, and then as a parent, especially in California, you, you're kind of doing this all alone. Um, the only people that are helping you are other parents. And so you find every parent group. I, I signed up for every parent group I could find. Um, I signed up for every feminist group I could find. Um, I eventually had to start shedding them because there were way too, way too many of them uh, to keep up with. But yeah, I was just looking for anyone to guide me um, in getting my child back to her reality. And our duty fit the bill. And uh, they've been really wonderful in that. Um, I think maybe because they're in the UK, uh, they let my um, co-partner and I 
really do a lot of things without having to ask permission to do do them. Uh, they trust us, and um, you know, and we're free to do what we know is going to move the needle mm-hmm. and help other parents. Um, I don't know very much about you, so I don't know how public you are about your story and your personal experience with this. Um, so obviously feel free to talk or not talk about any details you like. Um, but how long ago was this that your child, I don't know how it went down. Did she announce that she was transgender or was there sort of a gradual progression there? Yeah. So the normal progression for these kids and, and mainly girls is they start out, um, they start out as asexual or pansexual or lesbian. You know, they pick some kind of identity that's other than, you know, white, cis, what they call basic. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just so derogatory, but that's kind of this generation is um, that if you're not a victim, that you're uh, boring and, and basic and, and dull. So all these kids kind of pick these pick these monikers and, um, and then they move on from there. Uh, with my daughter, she, you know, went into the rabbit hole, uh, over COVID the internet. I mean, these stories are all the same. Anybody who's in this, it, there's a pattern and why, you know, the doctors don't see this pattern. It's so obvious to us. Your child starts puberty, doesn't like their body because they get hips and get their period. And they don't like that really typical, girl stuff. We all went through that. Nobody was like, yay, look at that. I have my period and now I'm gaining weight. Love it. Um, yeah. Adult men are looking at me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 12. So I'm really freaked out by this. Why are they looking at me? Yeah. There's, we all went through this and now it's pathologized into uh, you must be trans if you don't like these changes um, or you go on the internet and then you take a couple tests and you find out that you are trans Um I, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever taken the test. I've taken a few and um, yeah, I'm super trans. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. yeah. I, I pass with flying colors. Yeah. What are the kinds of questions that they ask on these quizzes? Oh, you know, the, the very typical, like, do you like to shop? <laughs> do, you, do you like your body? No, my ass is big. <laughs> like, I mean, just... Yeah. They're, they're nonsensical. Everybody will pass with flying colors. I mean, it is, you're right that a lot of this seems like obvious stuff to any woman who's gone through puberty. Like if we're talking about why girls transition, going through puberty is really unpleasant and uncomfortable and confusing. Things are happening to your body that you may not want to happen to your body. And all of a sudden you've got all these eyes on you. Like you go through childhood without feeling self-conscious or looked at probably for the most part, not to the same extent that you begin to feel looked at once you go through puberty um, and you start developing a woman's body and all of a sudden you're being judged and sometimes much worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so, so true. And, you have to think about girls go through puberty before boys do, and they go through it. They can start at 11 and 12 
And despite, you know, the nonsense that's spewed out there, 12 year olds are not sexual and they don't want to be sexual. And so their bodies become sexual before their minds can handle it and before they can figure out how to control it or um, hide it or, you know, so they're, they're foisted into adulthood when they're just not ready. I mean, they're still little kids. Um, and so it's hard. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I wore giant sweatshirts, you know, when I started to get my, my breasts, you know, yes. and then other times I would want to show them off. Like you just didn't know what you were doing. You're a kid. When I was a teenager for a long time, you know, when I was like 13, I would wear layers of clothes. Like I, first of all, I wore all my dad's clothes when I was in grade eight. I know you like if you're in America, you would say eighth grade. People always make fun of me when I say <laughs> that's my Canadianism. Um, but yeah, I would wear all my dad's old clothes. So I'd wear like big t-shirts and like big flannel shirts and like relatively baggy jeans and like combat boots. And then on top of that, I was wearing like tights or leggings underneath my pants <laughs> and then like, like long underwear. I was really skinny. So I felt really self-conscious about that, but I certainly didn't want my body looked at in any way at all. And eventually that changed when I was probably around 17 and then all of a sudden I was like wanted people to look at my boobs but you know like during that transition period no no I did not want any attention on my body yeah yeah I know I, I get I get it um yeah so yeah so to me it makes sense that girls would start being like I want to get rid of these body parts um Especially if something terrible happened, you know, like I have heard stories and I suspect you have too about girls who've experienced, you know, sexual abuse, um, girls who've been molested, um, deciding that they're transgender also. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's so many reasons, uh, exposure to porn is a huge one. Uh, people How does that talk, work? People don't want to talk that. Well, I, I mean, think about it. The porn that's out there now, I mean, you're much younger than I am, but, um, you know, the did we have porn? We had porn, but you had to go to a, a CD store to buy it. But there is no, there's no regular porn uh, available anymore. Skinamax is off TV. Um, when you go to, if you go to, uh, what's that platform? Uh, Pornhub, like it's all fetish and, and it's all really disgusting. And um, not that I'm a proponent of any porn, but it's so violent. And as a female, if I were exposed to that and, and that's how I'm supposed to have sex with somebody, I would flee that. I mean, there's just no way I would want to be a part of that. And so these kids are exposed to it. They're also exposed to, um, you know, social media. And like in my daughter's case, uh, she was on, she was on Reddit. Um, and, and all of this was behind my back because I monitored, but they're, they're smarter than we are. So I as much as you think that you're monitoring their, their internet use, you're, you're, you're deluding yourself. I mean, they're so much slicker than we are. Um, but she had a Reddit account and, and a Twitter account. And the, these people foist, they find these kids and they foist these ideas onto them and older girls do it. So you'll have, again, in my daughter's case, she was 13. 
um, when she came out as transgender. And a 16-year-old was the one who was pushing the whole um, narrative on her. And, you know, mm. the cool 16-year-old, super cool. And she was pushing. I mean, I, I saw this on their chats. And there were all these little 14-year-olds and 13-year-olds and 12-year-old girls just hanging on this 16-year-old's every word. And, you know, it was hard not to hate that 16-year-old who indoctrinated my kid because she was indoctrinated too. I mean, right. they don't come they don't come by this organically. They get it from their schools. So, you know, they have their sex ed uh, class in seventh grade and they have an hour of gender. So here in California, they have five hours of puberty instruction and an hour of it is gender. In is seventh, this per semester? Uh, for seventh grade. Okay. And they have it again. Oh, sorry. They have it in fifth grade now. So when my daughter went through puberty training or class, they did not have gender, but now they do because uh, I've looked at the curriculum. In ninth grade, they have nine hours of instruction and I think two are on gender. So they're pushing this um, belief system that girls can be boys and boys can be girls and that it's natural to be born in the wrong body. I mean, it's a, it's an absurdity. So these kids get these mixed messages. They're uncomfortable. They're pimply. They're, you know, unpopular. They're bullied, all of these things. And, and they are looking for the magic pill that's going to make them feel better. And they land on, oh, well, if I'm trans, um, then everything's going to be fine. And also these kids get catapulted into stardom when they say that they're trans. Nobody touches a trans kid. The teachers let them ha hand in assignments later. Um, mm -hmm. They don't get disciplined. Um, they get paraded around. You know, everybody wants a trans friend. And uh, so it's this stardom. And then they start to just believe it. I am. Yeah. I am a boy. I am. I am trans. I. And then the medicalization starts. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. I mean, yeah, and there's been a lot of talk lately, at least, around what they're teaching kids in school. Um, and a lot of parents are unhappy with what their kids are being taught because not only is there this gender identity stuff, but it seems as though there's like sex stuff that really is not age appropriate that they're being taught in school. I, I, I laugh because it's just, it's, sometimes I, I, when I, the words come out of my mouth, I can't even believe I'm saying it, but um, yeah. So I have, I, I mean, I have receipts, I have evidence of uh, ninth graders uh, being asked these questions on a scale of one to 10 and they'll have, you know, zero to 10. They're supposed to fill this out. This is part of their homework. Um, how likely are you to masturbate with um, your boyfriend or a friend in the room? What? I know. It's for real. Um, how likely are you to engage in anal sex? One to ten. Um, th this is ninth grade. You know, why, why we're accepting this? And most of the time, okay, there's this other group too. This is, this is fantastic. Um, there's a group that comes in and teaches uh, porn literacy. Kind of sounds good from the parent standpoint. Oh, they're going to teach kids not to watch porn, you know, and what mm -hmm. it does and the addictive aspect of it. 
No, 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 no. They come in and they tell them how to watch porn properly. How to watch good porn. How to think about the person behind the camera. Think about pleasure. Think about who is um, who is the strong person in the in the scene. They go to high schools and teach this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catholic schools uh, are also in the game. Uh, private schools are in the game. Um, you know, charter schools. There, there are no schools where this isn't happening. And now they go down into the kindergarten level and they they read aloud. Uh, so they get these books. They get the I Am Jazz. Um, I think there's a book called Max. And they read them to the little kids, the four-year-olds and five-year-olds who are still believing in Santa Claus. And they're reading that you could have, the doctor could have made a mistake. And... Um, and then they tuck those books away so parents don't know. But, you know, they do that little circle on the on the um, on the carpet and have all the kids sit down there. And, uh, yeah, it's all keeping secrets for parents. And, um, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a liberal at heart. I 30 years Democrat, um, not a book burning kind of person. But, man, what what we're doing to our kids the absolute confusion telling a child that there can be something entirely wrong with their body, everything Mm -hmm. telling a child that they are transgender is telling the kid that everything is wrong with you. Everything, your entire body. And that in order to fix it, you need treatment. You need medical treatment and possibly surgeries um, before you can understand the implications of all that. I mean, I think that there's probably very few people who understand the implications of all that. Um, as I understand it, you know, we're told by clinics, by medical professionals, by these gender clinics, by these, you know, therapists and and by schools and so on and so forth that, Things like puberty blockers, hormone treatments for youth who are wanting to transition are reversible. Um, I actually just, I watched a video that Planned Parenthood put out um, about puberty blockers for, for kids and essentially saying, you know, it was, it was really was selling puberty blockers to kids. And it says that essentially it's just like, it's just pausing, you know, it's just pausing. Yeah, yeah sure yeah. it is. Sure it is. It's, it's, you know, I've had, a, I've had a kid who was teaching parents because uh, I watch all these videos and I, I joined their little groups. Um, and uh, there was a kid who just said, it's, it's like hitting the clicker, you know, hitting the remote control. It's not, um, it's not. And we have parents in our group whose kids have brittle bones and osteoporosis. I mean, these are real things. They, if you read the W path on puberty blockers or even Planned Parenthood, there's a whole bunch of, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know how it affects brain development. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know, but they're reversible bullshit. Um, They're not. And we already know this. And, and, and there were kids that were put on puberty blockers because of precocious puberty. They filed lawsuits against those drug companies. Why aren't we extrapolating I mean, did the, the 
is it different when you're putting a kid on puberty blockers for gender? It's mm-hmm. not any different. Um, you know, and you know, the, even even Pan Plan, Planned Parenthood, they have a spokesperson. She's the head of she's the um, head of USW Path, Maddie Deutsch, and she writes that puberty blockers are not irreversible. But then on the other hand, maybe they are. They are when they're trying to hog puberty blockers for, for P- Planned Parenthood. It's whatever whatever brings them some money. When it's convenient for them not to know. Um, you know, if we don't know if there's a harm or a risk, then I suppose there's no need to warn parents and kids that there's a harm or a risk. Well, they know. And the other thing that they want to do, I mean, this is this is... You can listen to some of these really crazy WPATH and, uh, you know, trans activist doctors. What they want to do is they want their dream is to place every child on puberty blockers so that they can choose their gender. That's what they're hoping we're going to progress to. And they say that out loud. You can hear them say that out loud, that they want to put everyone on them. That's insane. I mean, we've been going through puberty. Uh, I don't know how long have humans been on this planet? 200 million years? We're not the only species that goes through a, a pubertal you know, stage. Why? When has this become a disease? When has it become a pathology, a problem? Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is, is that puberty is a cure for child children who are gender dysphoric. There's 11 studies that say that, that if you, if there's a four-year-old child who thinks that he is a she, if you just wait it out, don't socially transition them, let him play with dolls, let him wear fairy outfits, uh, let them play with, which all parents should do. We should let our kids play with whatever they want to play with. Um, Once he goes through puberty, guess what? He's fine with his body. He's just gay. That's all. Not a big deal. 88% of all kids below the age of, or before puberty, who think that they are the opposite sex, resolve it. Who is the miracle worker who knows who those 12% are who's, who are going to persist? What's the test? And what are the impacts of puberty blockers on kids? You know, what happens when you give a kid these drugs and prevent them from going through puberty naturally? Well, okay, so, you know, anything related to the uh, two hormones in the body um, have an effect on every other part of the body. It's it, it, so they don't know about brain development. Uh, there, there's now some warnings about kids going blind, um, stunted growth, uh, brittle bones, um, chronic pain. Uh, I'm trying to look for my document here. I mean, I have a whole sheet. Um, written by Lesbian United on every effect of it. Okay, here, here, here it is. I mean, this is the. Oops, can you see? 
this is the list of the effects of puberty blockers, the side effects. It's pretty um, massive, uh, impaired executive functioning. So let's talk about that for a second. So puberty blocking, let's say it's supposed to pause them. Well, it, 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 it freezes kids mentally. So they actually don't mature. So how are they going to make more de smarter decisions? Because they don't mature. It, it stops them. 99% of all kids put on puberty blockers are put on cross-sex hormones. It's not a pause button. It's this, it's this, it's step two because social transition is step one. Puberty blockers is step two. And then step three is cross-sex hormones. And then for the poor little boys, their penises don't grow. Mm -hmm. And there's a point of no return where their penises will never grow. So they have a choice. They, they can become men with, you know, little thumb penises, um, or they can transition and have problems with a, you know, a tiny neo-vagina that might cause fistula and, and have to be operated on three or four times. But these kids, I mean, they're, they're, they're screwed after a certain point and they don't have orgasms. That's another thing for the boys. They'll never experience an orgasm. Um, and how do they get consent? Because I really, I mean, I, I'm an attorney, so I always think of things in like deposition questions. And I would just, I mean, I would relish having a deposition with one of these doctors. How did you get consent from that 10-year-old boy? How did you explain orgasm? Because I didn't understand what one was until I had one. Yeah. And I would have said, I, well, I did. Oh, yeah, you sure I had one? And then I was like, oh, well, that was that, what, what that is. I mean, how do you explain that? And how do you explain to an 11-year-old that so much of society revolves around sexual pleasure, TV shows, movies, clothing, bar scenes? I mean, everything, the, there's, sex is everywhere, but you're never going to ha experience that pleasure. How do, how do you explain that to a kid? And how connected it is to the person that you love and partner with and maybe start a family with, which you can't do if you've, if you've been transitioned. Yeah. And so the new thing that the W path is doing, this is awesome. I, I just, God, I love them. Um, they, uh, they're now trying to promote pleasure outside of an orgasm. And so it's a way, it's a way to say it's okay. It's okay that these kids can't have. It doesn't matter. You can just do this instead. That's right. Here you have a donut. It's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, talk to jazz Jennings, right? Yeah. Uh, that's a good example of how you saw this play out in public because jazz Jennings was given all these hormones and then he didn't develop a normal sized penis. And then he had all these issues once it came time to trying to acquire a so-called neo-vagina because there wasn't enough tissue, correct? I think he went through three operations, still has not experienced an orgasm, is extremely overweight, failed to launch. I mean, I feel sorry. I'm not, I'm not beating up on yeah, him that at was all. a really sad story. Um, but he, you know, he, he was used by his parents and paraded around and, uh, I think he got into Harvard and he hasn't left. I think he's 25 now and he's still living at home. And 
you know, this is that that's a horrible result. That's a yeah. hor- horrible result. And and let I mean, let's go back to I'm, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. But um, the the whole putting a kid on puberty blockers came from the Dutch model. The Dutch model had 55 kids go through puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. 55. That's a really small number. And the most amazing thing is it was never repeated. No one could repeat that experiment. So tell us more about this experiment and what the results were. Well, the, the results, well, they had, they started out with 70 put 70 on puberty blockers. These were kids who were like identifying as transgender. They were identifying as the opposite sex when they were little. Okay. So the, so there's a, there's a difference. There's like two cohorts of actually three, but the ones before puberty, they decided, Oh, well, let's put them on puberty blockers. And this is the Dutch. So they took 70 and they did all this mental health assessment and tried to call the best 70 kids that they could, the parents who are supportive and the kids who are the most mentally well. And they took those 70 and they put them on puberty blockers. Um, and they ended up having 55 that went on cross-sex hormones. Uh, one died. So um, one died on the table. Um, they don't talk about that very often, but one out of 70, that's not a good result. Uh, but 55 went on to cross-sex hormones and, um, and uh, apparently they don't have gender dysphoria anymore because, well, they flipped the questions that they asked him. Instead of asking the females, the female questions, they asked the females who now transitioned to trans men, the men questions. So the whole, the whole experiment is, is fraught and it's for an experiment to become science, it has to be repeated. It's never been repeated. Right. But we, we follow it. I, wow, 55, 55 kids. And, and what do they lose? What do we know? Sterility, sexual function, bone density issues. We don't know what happens to the, we don't know what happens to their brains. These are kids. We don't know what happens. And possibly a lifetime of surgery. I mean, I don't think that, I don't know how many people understand that transitioning isn't just you get this surgery and you're done. Like it's a whole bunch of surgery. And also often there's complications. The surgery doesn't take, you know, this happens often when we're talking about um, women who are attempting to transition to become men. Um, You know, these are, these are still experimental surgeries. Right. They are, they, they are, and they have a, a huge fail rate. Phalloplasty is like 65%. Um, and, and yeah, the repeat surgeries on it and think about the neo-vagina. I mean, they have to, they have to insert a, you know, a dildo into themselves constantly. Think of a little kid do you know, a 16 year old boy doing that. It's just, yeah. And, 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 and then of course, the medical community gets them going in and going out because now they don't have the ability. They don't have their ovaries. They don't have their gonads. They can't actually produce the natural hormones that they used to produce. 
So even when they transition, they're still a medical patient. Yeah, it's a, it's a customer for life. And I think that that was something that was outed recently by Matt Walsh. Um, I saw some some videos that he put out on Twitter. Um, did you see this? Do you know what I'm talking about? The, the Vanderbilt stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we... <laughs> We, we've known that this is a money thing. Uh, I think Joanna Olson Kennedy in LA said, if, if you build a gender clinic, they will come. Yeah. Um, you can look in gendermapper. I think it's .org, uh, the number of gender clinics that are all over the country now. I mean, it's a, they're, they're creating them and then indoctrinating kids so that they have a steady stream of, of money. And the money in this is massive. And here in California, the people who are paying for all of this are the taxpayers. So much of our money is going into Medi-Cal uh, and paying, um, pay, paying the doctors and paying for the surgeries and paying for the, you know, our insurance rates go up. We're paying, we're paying to mutilate children. Is this stuff all covered? Sorry, I don't mean to credit Matt Walsh with any of this because I know I, that I know, we've I'm all not... been talking about it for a long time. No, 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 <laughs> and no. I'm no, the no. last person to credit Matt Walsh with anything, but but I did see those videos, and it was you know interesting to actually watch a woman say like, essentially, we have customers for life. This is a great money maker because obviously, so much of this, obviously, almost all of this is about money at the end of the day. You know, there's so much money in this for big pharma and for doctors and clinics and surgeons, um, therapists, and and so on and so forth. Um, are these are these hormone treatments and surgeries being covered by? Um, I don't. I'm not super familiar with the the. Medicare system in the U.S. and I know that it even can differ from state to state, but I suppose it's that most people have insurance through their employer. Is that how it works? It, it depends on what state you're in. So in California, it is required to be covered by every private insurer insurance carrier, uh, and it is covered by Medi-Cal. And so, if you're in California, you know it's essentially it's all it's all covered for you. And they push it. They push it because, again, it's it's not their money. It's my money. It's those of us who who work and contribute to to the taxes um, that that end up paying for it. And then California, you know, has all these funds. Um, they put fourteen million dollars into this fund for trans education, and it all just just keeps churning it. And so these trans advocacy groups, I mean. The human rights campaign, I think, has um, donations now of, or, or you know, forty thousand dollars. No, sixty thousand dollars. I mean, that's up from forty thousand dollars last year. I mean, there's just money, money, and where are they getting all that money? They're getting it. They're getting it from us. Um, they're getting it from us. So it's yeah. So I'm interested to know. So when your child first decided or, you know, came to believe that uh, they were trans, what was your response? <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I'm very direct. I'm, I'm from the East Coast. I was like, that. 
like that makes no sense. Go to your room and go do your homework. Um, you know, <laughs> I did not. I did not handle it probably the way we were supposed to handle it. Uh, but maybe that was a good thing. You know, who, who knows? I mean, we we just kind of like that's ridiculous. You, my my daughter too. And this is again these very typical stories. Uh, super girly kid. I mean, like way girlier than I ever was. Uh, it, you know, I have makeup on now, but I wore my hair in a ponytail all through college with no makeup on. I play boy sports. I do boy things. I'm a, was a total tomboy. And, um, my daughter was, you know, Shopkins and Barbies and everything's pink and sparkly and high heels and makeup. Um, so it was a very like, like, what are you talking about? Um, kind of, kind of moment although like to get to get to that stage she was going through severe depression um you could it was COVID I mean most kids were not thriving they were not doing well and um we kind of took it as COVID and isolation and not being able to go to school and it was really she was going down the trans rabbit hole. And that's a really bad hole to be in because what these kids are told by the internet people is your parents don't love you. They're transphobic. They're horrible people. We're the only people that love and understand you. And imagine a kid hearing that. Like it's a terrible, horrible thing to tell a child that their parents who have been with them for their entire lives and love them um, don't. And that, you know, and just to round this out, like you hear this all the time. Oh, parents are rejecting their children and all these, these homeless trans kids and, and parents are throwing them out again, bullshit. It's the opposite. These kids are being enticed to run away from their family, their loving place, cult-like. Run away. We love you more. Yeah. We will take care of you. We're the only ones who really understand you. And so the kids take off. And they're enticed to take off. It was all over my daughter's phone. Run away. She did. I mean, I've seen people, I've seen trans activists tweet things like, if there's any trans kids out there and your parents aren't supporting you, you can come live with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, money and pedi pedophilic behavior. That's what all this is about. Yeah. Money and it, sex, money and sex, money and sex. It is. And I mean, uh, I mean, you're probably not supposed to say that, but <laughs> you're not supposed to say any of this. So whatever. I mean, I'm sure you've gone down similar rabbit holes that I have and discovered that really a lot of this does come down to creepy or predatorial adults and money. Sure does. It's not about helping kids. It's not about supporting kids to be themselves. Um, it's not about, you know, helping kids who are dealing with their like bigoted parents who are going to kick them out. As you say, I've never heard of that happening. I mean, I don't know every kid in America or, or anywhere else, 
but I've yet to hear a story about parents kicking their kid out because they're trans. I mean, sometimes parents are trying to reason with their kids and trying to fight this pressure on their kid to transition um, or their parents are supporting their kid because they don't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, So what did you do? What happened after this? I mean, I just, I get so many, I get a lot of messages from parents where people ask me or people talk to me about it in real life and, and they they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say to their kid or what they would say to their kid if they came home and announced that they were transgender or that they were the opposite sex and that they wanted to be now known as a boy and that they wanted to go on puberty blockers. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know, we, we hired a, a therapist not knowing what we were really doing. Um, not doing a great job vetting initially. Uh, she told us to call her by a male name. Um, our public school had changed her name to a male name. Um, I, you know, and so the first couple weeks, uh, I was calling her. Um, I was using nicknames, sometimes calling her a male name. My husband never did it. My son never did it. Uh, and then I read Abigail Schreier's book and I started, you know, comb, combing the internet and, and like, this doesn't feel right. Um, and if it doesn't feel right, it isn't right. Like that's a very parent. Um, it's a woman thing too. like, follow your gut. Your gut is always right. I'm like, this is a bunch of crap. Um, and so I asked the therapist, uh, like who she looked at as far as who she followed and I looked up that doctor. I'm like, that person's a crackpot. Um, she told me my daughter would commit suicide, 41%. I had read the study. She hadn't read the study. I, you know, I asked her a whole bunch of questions. I'm like, you didn't even read the study. Like, I'm never going to listen to you. Like, you're fired. Immediately fired. Gone. Uh, she had also told me that my memory of my child was not accurate. Uh, okay. L- look at my photo albums. Like, like, who are you? Um, so, you know, we, we went through, I mean, finding a therapist was, is nearly impossible. Um, and then we did a lot of things. Um, like I, I, I refused to call her by the male name. Um, I refused, I called her by nickname. I didn't use a name. You can get really creative in speaking and not using a name, uh, and, and not a pronoun. I refused to commit child abuse on my child. Socially transitioning your child to me is abusive. It's a lie. And so I refused to do it. Um, I took, you know, she had binders um, that she used for cosplaying. Um, She was into anime, which is another like key thing. These kids are into anime, very much part of the pattern. So I took like what I've, it seems like gaming, anime, and then porn. Yep. Yeah. Yep, they, they all fa- they all factor in, um, you know, and then the other thing is, too, when these kids put on their Instagram, they put uh, FTM, you know, female to male. It is like a fly on shit for the, mm. you know, the older um, men to find these kids. 
Hmm. And they prey on them. Hmm. It is a, it's a siren that, that draws them. Uh, and so, you know, the, the real key to get your kid out of this is you got to take the phone. So I did that. And, um, you know, that's world war three. Like she, that's when she ran away and, uh, really, really hard. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, you know, severe depression. It's like, you know, taking heroin from a heroin addict. Um, it was, that was probably the darkest moment in my life. And I hope never to experience that ever again. And that's why I advocate, you know, against this stuff because I, I wouldn't want my worst enemy to have to go through uh, the, the year and a half or two years that we did extracting my daughter from this. Um, but yeah, the phone, you got to, you got to cut the internet and then you have to be smarter than them because friends will drop fr- phones off in the mailbox. Um, you got to break up all the friendships. Sounds harsh, but yeah, all those bad influences gone, gone. Send your kid to, you know, visit family, uncles and aunts that aren't falling for this. Um, it's a Herculean task. It's expensive. And, um, it's grueling. I, I had to, you know, I quit my job. It was a full-time job to get my, my, my kid well. And, um, and the language you use, there's a great book. It's called Detrans Detox Desist by Maria Keffler. I, I use that as my guidebook to find words. And then I, you know, I made it really apparent to my child that I didn't agree with any of this. I wore a shirt that said, no one's born in the wrong body daily. I left all my trans books out. Um, all, all, Abigail Schreier, I had a box of them. They were in every room. I, I made it very clear to my kid that I was fighting this. I, you know, my protest signs in clear, you know, in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to hide that your mom who loves you or your mom who has a graduate degree, your mom who you used to respect and used to think was honest is fighting this. So maybe that will get, get her to think. And, you know, I'll never know what was the thing that, that turned her because I did an all out assault. I was not, um, I did, I, I didn't tiptoe around it. I went after the elephant. Hey everyone, just a quick break. I, as many of you may or may not know, have a crazy busy work life. My mind is usually in a million places. And like many, I always have too much to do and not enough time. So want to be as productive as possible when I can. Magic Mind has helped me feel focused. Thanks to new tropics that improve my attention span, ability to process and learn new information, and my notoriously bad memory. Lion's Mane Mushrooms help reduce anxiety and inflammation, and matcha keeps my energy levels up. I drink my little Magic Mind shot every day, easy peasy. Try it out. Go to magicmind.co slash TSD. That's TSD is in the same drugs and use my discount code TSD20 in the next 10 days to get 40% off your first subscription 
or get 20% off your first one-time purchase at any time you like. That one doesn't expire. Now, back to the show. I presume that you've met a lot of parents who have been through similar situations to you in in doing the work that you do. Um, I mean, what did you learn from their stories about what works and, and what doesn't work? I mean, obviously what you did did work. I know a lot of parents who sort of take the approach of like, well, this is just a phase, so I'll just go along with it and hope they come out of it. That's a that's a mistake. I mean, it can happen, but that's a huge, huge mistake because it, first of all, the kids need an out. Mm-hmm. So when they say that they're trans, again, they get, you know, that they get this like, oh, you're so brave and, oh, how amazing. And I'm so glad you're your authentic self. And everybody kind of, you know, kisses their rear end and, um, and then they have to backtrack. Well, you got to be the you've got to be the one that they can point to to get them out. Like you have to be the one. My mom, my mom won't give me my phone back until you stop calling me a male name. You know, you get to be the bad guy. You have to give them that. So, you know, waiting waiting around for them to see the light is really hard, especially when you know every trans is ubiquitous. I mean, it's in stores, it's on cereal boxes, it's at Starbucks. I mean, it's everywhere. And you think your child's just going to have a miraculous epiphany um, and they're not going to feel that they're trans anymore. That's a risk, especially when the kids are under 18. That is, you still have control and you need to grab that control as much as you can. You don't have to be harsh. But you need to learn the language and you need to learn to, you know, I, I, I did a lot of, I, I call these drive-bys. So I would talk to her about um, other cults, like in the car, we would be, I would have a cult podcast on and we'd be like kind of laughing about like, how did somebody get caught in that? And then I'd say, yeah, some people think trans is a cult. And then I'd walk away. Don't wait for an answer. Hey, Johnson and Johnson's not good for uh, females. Are you allowed to get that? And then I'd walk away. Just little like nuggets of, of, let me see if I can get you to think logically about this. Not smashing them in the face with, do you know puberty blockers will, you know, hurt your uh, brain and 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 can cause blind blindness. They're invincible. That stuff doesn't res- resonate. You need to let them think that they figured it out on their own and that you, and then you get to be the one to make, you know, make the pronouncement that they can no longer go by this name. Um, So why do you think that there is that connection with gaming and anime and then pornography? I mean, it's like, it's obvious, like, when you look at the social media accounts of these youth or young adults who are really into the, the trans thing, they are almost always connected. Like, they'll have, like, an anime avatar or they'll have some sort of anime stuff in their bio. Same thing with gaming. And, and yeah i mean is it just is it just that these are internet cultures and this is where they're 
exposed or what do you think that's about? Well, I think it's escapism. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you could put a suit on and make yourself, you know, a supermodel, would you put it on? Um, so these, these, these kids personas are these avatars, are these characters because they don't living in real life. They, they didn't for a year and a half or a year during COVID they lived in a, they lived in a computer. And so they could create anything that they wanted to, and they could be that. And they were told that they could be that. And that's what trans is. You can create you can change everything about you and you can create something else and be that. So, that, you know, and anime too, talking with a lot of detransitioners who were into the anime stuff, um, the girls in anime are hypersexualized, you know, always big breasts and tiny little skirts. And, um, and the guys, there's always, you know, the man, gay man. So he's very masculine. And then there's kind of the female male so he's the the counterpart who's who's usually gay or very feminine uh male and so the girls think that they're him they don't want to be the sexualized girl they want to be the cool guy and so they they glum onto that and also you know anime is there's it, it goes dark really fast and it goes into hente which is really disgusting pornography where uncles are having sex with children, um, rape. And so once you're an anime kid, guess who's sending you hente? Mm. You know, these old, these older people, Hey, have you gone? Have you, have you looked at this? And their brains can't discern what is happening to them. They're intrigued by it. Um, and so then they, they, they get addicted to it. So that's the, you know, that's the anime thing. It's, it's the same idea too. When post COVID, all these young girls went back to school, they didn't have to wear a mask anymore, but they did. Why? They were hiding themselves. They were trying to disappear. They don't want people to, you know, see their pimple or, I mean, some girls didn't even want to go back to school. They chose to stay online because their avatar or their picture was pretty. And maybe now they didn't feel pretty anymore. They've gained weight or their avatar was a, a cartoon character. And everybody's going to now see that they're not that cute or they think that they're not that cute. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a problem with social media in general for girls, especially because first of all, you can alter the way that you appear online using filters and airbrush apps and all sorts of things. But also you're looking at photos of all these other girls who are doing the same thing and you're constantly comparing yourself and you're training yourself to seek validation. You're so pretty, you're so hot, so on and so forth. And you are being sexual, you're being sexualized by legions of strangers and people are pressuring you, you know, boys and I'm sure men as well to like send photos and send nudes. And I just, I think that it must be so, so hard for girls today. I mean, it's always been hard for girls, but this in particular seems quite devastating. I mean, 
yeah, think about growing up. You know, we had magazine covers. So, you know, again, I'm older than you. So we had like Christy Brinkley and, um, you know, the supermodels. There were maybe like 10 of them. And you didn't feel like you were competing with them because they were so out of your league. You know, we weren't we weren't even trying to be them because they were they were over here and everybody else. We went to school and we looked like we looked like. Yeah, like it's not like you're 12 years old and you're like, I'm going to look like Cindy Crawford. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, and but they, but now it seems to girls that everybody is Cindy Crawford because they airbrush, they, you know, they, they make them look thinner and, and, and maybe their pictures like that. And then they go to school and they actually don't look like that. You know, and they know that they were making a mirage of themselves, but yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Um, and oh, I just have because you were talking about the internet people. Let me just, I, I love to just dish on my my first therapist. Um, she, my daughter had 40,000 followers on, on Instagram. Instagram? Yeah. And uh, the therapist said, That's amazing. You should be so proud of her. I'm like, Are you a nut job? You're an absolute nut job. I'm like, like, that's not good for a teenage girl. My kid is 13. She shouldn't even be freaking on Instagram. I know she's 13. She's 13. You know, these were the fake accounts that I did about living. She's 13. Like, like that's dangerous. Why are they following her? Like that's a stunning, a stunning fact. I just looked at her. I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, you know, those are the things too I did to my daughter to teach her how strong the internet was. And she did this art project and it was amazing. And she got all these likes and her, she was flush and like heart beating. And I'm like, look at yourself in the mirror right now. Feel your heart. You don't know any of those people who, who told you what you did was cool. They have mm-hmm. no idea that you worked three weeks on that. No, Nobody's opinion matters but your own and maybe your parents. Like, but that's this generation. They need those, they need those likes. Um, and it's, it, it's so sad. Yeah. It's really sad. So are there currently any laws surrounding giving puberty blockers to kids, giving hormones to kids? Um, and, and then of course the, the, the surgeries that start with mastectomies usually. Well, it depends on what state. I mean, you know, we're 50 states and we're all divided. We're divided red and blue. Uh, here in California, there it's under eight. Well, there's, there's, if you give parental consent, I mean, you can do all those surgeries anytime you want. Mm-hmm. As long as parent signs. Uh, there are doctors here that take off girls breasts at 13. Uh, there's one, you know, on video admitting that he would take off a 14 year old or 12 year old girl's breasts. He's totally fine with that. As long as there's consent, that's great. Um, puberty blocker, same thing. As long as you get consent, cross-sex hormones. And if you're, you know, if you're slick and you go to your school's website and you start going link to link to link, you can even find out how to get, uh, Hormones illegally. And that's pretty easy. Uh, I mean, I signed up as, um, you know, I sign up sometimes as a 15-year-old or 16-year-old to see if I can get 
hormones. And I haven't been successful, but I did get an announcement that if I run away, I can get them. Because if you're homeless, if you're in, in foster care in New York, California, you dictate your own gender health at the age of 12. So you can get on cross-sex hormones then if you want. So if you run away, again, enticing kids to run away. So it's our government enticing kids to run away. Sick. And do parents have any rights in terms of what's going on in schools, either with what they're teaching kids about gender and gender identity and sex and sexuality for that matter, but also in terms of schools, you know, going along with a social transition, for example? Okay, that's a big question. So uh, sex ed. Most states have an opt-out for sex ed. That only gets you 10% of the way. So you pull your kid out of sex ed, you miss that hour of, of, of uh, gender indoctrination. They teach gender ideology in uh, English class with the books that they choose for kids. Mm-hmm. They teach it in math. They have word problems. Uh, they teach it in social sciences. In California, it's required to be taught in social sciences. Um, and it's, you know, it's all made up, but they, they talk about historic figures who were trans. I mean, how do they know that? They don't. So it's, a, you know, it's again, it's a big fat lie. The person who drove this stagecoach for uh, Wells Fargo was a woman who wore pants and said she was a man. Well, gee... It's like 1870, women can't have jobs, women can't have bank accounts, and women can't own property. So riddle me this. Was she really thinking that she was a man or was she trying to own property and have a job and make a living and not have to be married? Um, but, but, you know, they, 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 change, they change history to fit, fit their mold. But California, you have to learn about that. Um, that's a requirement. You can't pull your kid out of that. Um, so, and then social transition plans in schools, uh, those are really a thing where the teacher decides whether you parents are uh, harmful or not, and, uh, whether you can be trusted with knowing what your kid's, uh, name and pronoun is. They decide, unilaterally decide, uh, that happened to us, our school, um, our public school changed my child's name without talking to me. Um, yeah, so th- that happens. And then the, you know, it's great. The ACLU, another one of my faves. I used to write checks to them. <laughs> I, I like say this. I'm like, wow, I, I can't believe the words that come out of my mouth. But um, yeah, they they wrote, they wrote, uh, they contributed to uh, schools in transition. And it's all about social transition plans and how to scaffold the child's transitioning. And that the teachers should be prepared to testify against the parent who will not transition their kid in a custody battle. I personally had CPS come to my house because of the name and a pronoun. Mm -hmm. Um, I know lots of parents. I mean, I'm part of a, a national parent group and, um, we, 
we bear witness to this. Sorry, I'm going to get a little teary eyed. Um, we watch custody battles happen and we see the parent who is trying to protect the child's bodily integrity lose time and time again. And um, I mean, it's consistent. It's in Maryland, Pennsylvania, Utah, Arizona, Texas. It's everywhere that the parent who is trying to safeguard their child will lose custody. And here in California, we just passed an amazing law. Thank you, Scott Weiner, Governor Newsom. If the parents have a custody agreement in another state, and let's say mom and dad share custody, and um, so they share medical decisions, if mom gets to California with the kid that she wants to transition, that custody agreement is like it's not written. It gets relitigated in California. What happens in California? Mom gets 100% custody of that kid. She, she gets to transit. It's, um, it's horrible. And oh, and the runaway kids too. That law too is great. Um, if you run away to California, uh, normally, normally with the way the laws work in all 50 states, that if a child runs away from one state to another state, the state where the child came from is the presiding judge over the child. So kid is in Texas, runs run, runs away to Oklahoma. Oklahoma court says, no, kid, you got to go back to Texas. They're going to just decide what's going on with you. Well, California has changed that just recently in the last week. If a kid runs to California, the kid gets to stay here. And the judges decide whether the parents in Maryland or wherever the kid came from are fit parents because they won't transition their kids. We know how that's going to work out, right? Parents aren't going to get custody of their kid back once the kid comes to California. And that, of course, you know, creates our foster care problem and homeless problem and sex trafficking problem. You know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, California Democrats. Thank you. Yeah, it's a really, really, really dangerous thing. I mean, it's all extremely dangerous. Um, and it's really devastating. I mean, these are adults who are ruining the lives of countless kids. I mean, I don't even know, maybe, you know, I mean, how many kids are there in you in the U S who are going through these transitioning processes? Uh, There are some, uh, surveys that say 20% of all high school kids are identifying, as as trans or something on the, you know, LGBTQ um, spectrum, uh, it's just it's it's not real, but it, you know it's twenty percent. And I mean, half my daughter's Girl Scout camp are, are um, troop came out as as trans or, or non-binary. Uh, so yeah, it's everywhere. I mean, it's the numbers here in California are insane. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many kids are going to be ruined, but, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, 60,000 people a day, I'm sorry, 60 a day join D-Trans Reddit, 60 a day. Now, Crazy. not all of them are detransitioners. I understand that, but 60 a day? I, I get calls from detransitioners all the time. Um, 
it's super super sad yeah yeah it really is so i mean what can people do what is your group doing what is our duty doing to fight back about this uh, against this and what can people do who want to fight back in the u.s uh it's um it's time to stand up if you're scared don't be those parents who are in custody battles they can't i i i get that Uh, some parents who are still trying to save their kids depending on where they are on that spectrum can't either, but everybody needs to stand up. Uh, it's actually not that bad to stand up. I, I, I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that I haven't done. Mm-hmm. I'm not the first to come through by by any stretch, but I will go first. I just need people to follow. And the people are following. So um, our duty has put together the first U.S. unity rally. Um, and what I mean by that is we've got Democrats, Republicans, lesbians, Christians, uh, Catholics, women, men, all coming together, even though we disagree maybe on 99% of the other things. We are all coming together and we are going to Anaheim for the pediatric or the um, American Academy of Pediatrics annual convention. We're not going there as a hate group. We're not going to be disruptors. We're not going to be banging on pots. Um, We're trying to educate those 10,000 pediatricians and get them to start questioning this Mm. and get them in our camp and show the AAP that we parents are against this gender affirming care. And, um, that we're not going to relent. They need to change what they're doing. Uh, We need to propose legislation. We need armchair advocates is what I call them. I mean, I've got, I made up all of these, all of these, these documents and they're on our website. They're quick facts about what's happening in the UK, Finland, Sweden, um, you know, why why trans isn't isn't the new gay um they're really quick put these packets together put them in free um the free libraries around your neighborhood um stick them at starbucks stick them at the libraries hand them out to um, other parents hand them to your pediatrician send them to uh therapists i mean you can do this all under the cover of anonymity um just educate because there's a lot of people who have no idea what is going on? I didn't. I mean, I'm a mainstream media person. I, I you know, I, I, I was a reader of the New York Times. They don't cover this accurately. NPR, all of, you know, again, a, a good liberal. Um, no idea that this stuff was happening. Uh, so we have to get loud and we have to be organized and we have to join forces. We can't have the feminists in one corner and the parents in another corner. We all have to be together. And we can go our separate ways later. That's fine. Right now, we all have to put that aside and stand united. I agree with you. Um, I'm so glad that we were able to connect about this today. Um, And 
I was really excited to hear about your rally. I wish I could make it, but I can't. Um, but I'm I'm glad that you were doing this and and yeah, thank you so much for your work and thanks for standing up and thanks for being brave and thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. This episode was sponsored by the Sayulita Submission Series, the best jiu-jitsu tournament this side of the Rio Ameca. This year's White Belt Tournament is happening on Saturday, October 22nd. Follow Sayulita Submission Series on Instagram for more details and to register. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. This allows you access to special content, early access to episodes, and regular private live streams. Alternatively, you can support this podcast directly on anchor.fm by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. You can find more about my work and how to support me at meganmurphy.ca. I produce and host this podcast all by myself and rely entirely on individual donors like you to sustain my work. You can donate any amount you like from $5 to $20 to $100 or more or less. It all counts. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Alcohol.